You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 52. Today, we're asking the question, what is the relationship between safety climate and injuries? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to safety of work or the work of safety and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, what's today's question? David, today we're fulfilling a couple of promises that we made in earlier episodes. In episode 39, we talked about whether our instant investigations actually find the root causes. And then last week, we talked about the relationship between blame and learning. So we're clearly heading back towards sort of question by question, a discussion about safety culture and safety climate. And I looked back and I saw that in episode 35, in fact, we already talked about leading and lagging indicators. And there we briefly mentioned that there were papers that show that safety climate is a better lagging indicator of injuries than a leading indicator. So in other words, injuries predict climate as much or more than climate predicts injuries. And at the time, we said that there are a couple of papers about this and we'd come back to it. So here we are. As you might imagine, there are a number of studies that have explored the relationship between safety climate and injury rates. That's the whole reason why safety climate was invented in the first place, as a way of explaining why very similar organisations or similar situations could have different numbers of injuries. But the authors of the paper that we're going to talk about today, they make the point that many of these studies have what we call a retrospective design. In other words, they're looking backwards in time, looking at history, rather than looking forward as if we design an experiment. So typical way of doing that is you decide to do a climate survey. And on the same day that you do the survey, you look at your current 12 months of lost time injuries. So that current 12 months is actually the last 12 months. So you're asking whether the last 12 months of injuries is associated with today's safety climate. Now, it's a good thing to have something in safety where we have two really clear measurements like that. So that's actually something that's really attractive about safety climate is we've got these reliable, valid uh, survey measures that have had lots of work put into them. And we've got numbers of injuries, which you can argue about Um, how much you hate lost time injuries, but at least it's a nice concrete thing to compare with. But the trouble is that while the surveys are very rigorous, there isn't really a commonly accepted conceptualization of what safety climate is as a construct, which means that you end up with lots and lots of different surveys that measure the same thing, and lots and lots of different understandings about what those surveys actually mean. So that's a bit of background to a really simple question which is just what's the relationship between measuring safety climate and the injuries that you get? And so, Drew, there's a number of papers that we could have picked out that showed this relationship retrospective and prospectively about this relationship between safety climate and injuries. But I, I, we sort of settled on this paper, I think, for a couple of reasons that gives us something a little bit more interesting to talk about than just that relationship. So the paper separates out the studies that use this pros- prospective design and separates that analysis from the studies that, di- that that didn't. So it's really starting to look at these two different designs. And I think what was good in this paper that we'll introduce in a minute is the authors kind of ignored what the original authors of the papers they were reviewing said they did and looked at their method and actually then categorized it based on what they actually did. 
And the second thing is they separated out this construct of safety climate into two separate constructs, which they labeled as organizational safety climate and then psychological safety climate. So let's talk about a few of these ideas and, and what they separated out. So the first thing is this climate injury relationship. And we've talked a lot on the podcast, Drew, about being really clear on the mechanism that any practice that you're putting into your organization what is it actually influencing? What and, and it's not just reducing injuries necessarily in the first place, but it's trying to influence something that then might influence something else that then might influence injuries. And so Dov Zohar, who I think, I suppose in 1980, Drew, if I'm not mistaken, published the first real 40 item safety climate survey. So what's that, 40 years ago? And in that paper, he kind of specified that climate is a lot about the perception of the organization's safety policies and practices. And that perception of the organization's policies and practices affects the outcomes people um, expect from certain behaviors. And then the outcomes they expect from certain behaviors will affect the actual behaviors that they perform in the workplace. And the actual behaviors they perform will affect their injuries. So you can kind of see this climate construct affects individual kind of reasoning, which affects the performance of their work, which affects whether they have an injury or not. So you still we're still talking even in climate about being, say, three steps removed from injuries. But at least I suppose in in the climate research, at least for the last 40 years, have tried to spell out what that connection looks like. So, Drew, what is this? So this existing research, what does it what does it show in relation to climate and injuries? So it's one of those rare concepts in safety where the common sense understanding matches up with a fairly reasonable body of evidence. So remember that when we talk about safety climate as opposed to more nebulous concepts like safety culture, most of the questions in the survey, we're basically asking people, do you think your company cares about safety? Do you think your company has a good safety management system? Do the people around you at your company care about safety? And so we shouldn't be surprised that you know, people's perceptions aren't perfect, but people who like the safety of the company they're working with, turns out those companies on average are safer. And people who say, no, my company is dangerous, my company doesn't care about safety, the people around me don't care about safety, on average, those companies have a worse safety record when it comes to injuries. And it should come as no surprise that the opposite works as well. When a company has an accident or an injury, the people at that company then say, oh, my company's not very safe. Safety procedures in my company don't work very well. So it's it's obvious, but you also it, it's nice that we do have this evidence that clearly shows that both of those are real effects. They really happen. I like that recursive relationship there that I think we see a lot in social psychology that um, you know, our our perceptions of the world shape our actions in the world and then those actions in the world sort of then, you know, shape our perceptions. And when you do that at a group level, then you can see how these shared norms play out into, into shared practices. David, I should interrupt you for a moment and say that actually that's an interesting extrapolation, which is not nearly so well evidenced. So there's much less evidence that people believing that their company cares about safety directly leads to better safety behavior, leads to the safety. The evidence is actually for the end-to-end -end link. People who say that they think their company cares about safety those people generally are safer. The idea that it happens through shared behaviours or through influencing people's behaviour or compliance or things like that, that's much weaker. And that's actually not what the paper we're looking at today looks at. It just looks at the direct connection between perception of safety and actual safety. Yeah, thanks for the pickup, Drew. That was me um, 
going a little bit into my own thoughts and experiences, which um, which we encourage our listeners to do a lot because um, as we as we touch all of these safety science areas, the um, this is probably a little bit more defined than other things that we've talked about on the podcast. But there's still a few things that we there's still quite a few things that we obviously don't know in relation to safety climate. The next one, Drew, they they separated out, and I, I'm probably not going to get this one right either. They separated out organisational safety climate and psychological safety climate. Now, our listeners are thinking, oh, psychological safety, we're talking a lot about that at the moment. And it's not that. It's not what we might be talking about now when we talk about psychological safety. What they were trying to do was split out whether the studies uh, reported the individual results, so what individuals believed in relation to safety climate, or whether they were looking at a group result or a team result or an organisational result. So the psychological safety climate relates to an individual's perceptions about safety in their organization and the organizational safety climate relates to the collective or the aggregate perceptions of the organization. So Drew, this was the way that I understood the distinction. I read the paper a few times trying to look for broader description, but I couldn't get a better answer than that. Is that is that the way you interpreted what they were doing? Yeah, yes, just to give listeners a rough idea of how the difference might work. If you're only measuring things at the individual level, we don't actually have to measure everyone within the same company. We could just go out and find 200 people and say, what do you think about safety at your company? And has anyone at your company had an injury in the last year? And just treat those as if it's like an individual psychological property. Whereas when we talk about organizational climate, we have to get people from the same organization and we have to aggregate their results. It's not about what an individual believes and whether an individual is safe. It's about what a group believes and how safe that group is. Great. Thanks, Drew. The other thing the authors talked about before we jump into the method and, and introduce the paper was these moderators of climate. So we've talked about there is a relationship between climate and injuries in the literature, and this relationship goes both ways. But they talked about a couple of things that made it difficult to compare all of these studies in relation to climate and injury connection. The first was time. So the length of time that you were recording inju injuries before and after the climate assessment. Um, whether it was three months, six months, 12 months, um, or so on. The definition of climate and the assessment tool that was used, there's lots of different climate tools. Lots of papers take an existing tool and they take out items and they put in place new items and they, they try to make the tool better. And then the third thing was the severity of injuries. So some studies had different thresholds for what they counted. Some included first aids, some only included reportable um, or notifiable type of incidents. So when you get these all of these studies together and they're on different timescales with different definitions and, and assessments of climate and different inclusions of types of injuries, it just made the whole data just not as neat as the, as the authors would have liked. Um, and statistically, when we talk about identifying moderators, what we're doing is we're looking for extra variables that can increase or decrease the strength of a relationship. So as we'll see when we get into the method of pa the paper, when you're comparing a lot of different studies, and some of them seem to show a very strong effect, and some of them seem to show a very weak effect. The next thing you look for is, is there a pattern? Is there a moderator that makes some of those studies have a stronger link? So the paper we're going to discuss today is titled Safety, Climate and Injuries, an Examination of Theoretical and Empirical Relationships. And the paper was published in the Journal of Applied Psychology in 2010. So Drew, the authors were Jeremy Boos, Stephanie Payne, Mindy Bergman, and Winfred Alfred Jr., you did a bit of looking into the other works of the authors. Do you want to give us a sense of um, these these authors? And it was published in Applied Psychology, so I suspect they're not purely safety science researchers. No, no, these are all org, org psych researchers, and they're all fairly heavy hitters who 
do a lot of workplace type research, uh, mainly focusing on things that can be studied through surveys and statistical analysis. And individually, they don't tend to publish a lot about safety climate, but there are several occasions when they've got together and done a really insightful thing specifically focused on safety. So this seems to be their sort of reason for getting together is a shared interest in safety climate. And what I particularly like about their work is they don't just blindly or naively measure things without thinking about what it is the underlying thing that they're doing. What are they actually measuring? How does the way you're measuring it influence the results you get? And when you see differences in measurements from different researchers, they try to explain this in terms of the research practices. So a really good example is there's a 2009 paper by Payne, Buse and Bergman and a couple of other authors not in this set that looks at how come some studies say that safety climate is a leading indicator and other studies say it's a lagging indicator. And the explanation they give is they point out that if your theory says that climate's a leading indicator, then you've got to design the study measuring climate first and injuries afterwards. If you go the other way around, if you measure climate and then look at historical injuries, then even though your theory is about climate influencing injuries, your study is about injuries influencing climate. And that's the reason why in this particular study, they don't go based on the theory that the other authors say that they're using. They go based on the study design and say, look at methodologically what are people assuming. Probably a good point just to remind people why it is that we sometimes focus on the quality of the authors and their track record. And the reason is that when you're reading a paper, particularly a difficult paper with things like complex statistical analysis or a review of literature you haven't heard before, there's a lot of trust you have to assume as a reader about the authors. You need to trust them about how accurately they're representing other things they talk about, and you need to trust the choices they make in their analysis. So I always like it when I am confident that the authors are better statisticians than I am. So when they say they've done things in a particular way, I know that I don't need to like look up the methods they use and try to look up a statistics manual and second guess what they're doing to see if it's reasonable. I, I can just know that anytime I have checked it, they've done a good job. So I'm just happy when they say that this is the right way of doing it. Using your authors who are experienced in this is a good guide as to whether the methods are appropriate or not. And just Drew, as a practical tip, I mean, that's that's as simple as looking at a paper and if you like what you're reading, then jumping on Google Scholar and hitting the author's names in and just, just having a scan for what else they've published, how many times it's been cited and and, and just getting a sense for their, their body of work. So, and it's a good thing to do. This paper contains both a literature review and a set of meta-analyses. So the meta-analyses are testing four different relationships. So organizational climate as a leading construct of injuries, injuries leading to organizational climate, psychological climate leading to injuries, and then injuries leading to psychological climate. So just before I dive in and explain that, Drew, um, I'm going to throw to you to tell us about, you know, the layman's guide to what a meta-analysis actually is when we're trying to test these four relationships. Sure. So, so I think we've talked before about systematic reviews, and we might have mentioned meta-analyses in that context, but this might be one of the first meta-analyses that we've looked at. So a systematic review is where you use a set of search words and you very carefully find every paper that matches those search words. And then you use a set of rules to whittle it down to papers that are particularly relevant to the subject you're doing and of suitable quality. 
With a meta-analysis, you go one step further. Your rules are strict enough that the papers you find can be directly statistically compared. So they've got the same independent variable, they've got the same dependent variable. Uh, so in this case, you're depending on the direction we're talking about climate as the independent variable and injuries as the dependent variable, or vice versa. And if you get papers that match up that well, then you can do direct statistical comparisons. You can almost, in some cases, actually lump them together, and instead of 10 papers, each of one has 200 people in it, you treat it as if you've got one paper that now has 2,000 people in it. You, the, the more simple version of it is where you just sort of like do a point scoring count and say, you know, six papers in favour, four papers against. This gives different weightings to the different papers based on the size of the sample. So that we don't just say, you know, six, four, four against. We say, you're combining them, comparing their sizes. Overall, the population says this. So Drew, you mentioned about being fairly strict about which papers they included. So it looks like they, they had 32 papers that looked at injuries leading psychological safety climate. They had 10 papers that looked at injuries leading organizational safety climate, 11 papers looking at organizational climate leading injuries, and one paper that looked at psychological safety climate leading injuries. And just remember that these were not necessarily what the original authors of these papers claimed that they were doing, but it was what the authors of this paper, by looking at their method, actually categorized them as actually having done. So Drew, the first thing to note is that, like I said, the vast majority of these studies were designed, you know, I suppose, against what these authors said that they were actually trying to measure. And that's just a good call out for um, any any researchers in our listen to, listener group, just to you know maybe rewind and re-listen to Drew's advice before about picking your theory and getting your research question, and just make sure you're designing your research to actually answer your research question and not and not answering a different question that's the reverse of what you're trying to answer. It's probably also worth saying that these are really pretty good numbers given how narrow we're looking. You know, we've said on the podcast before that there are thousands of papers about safety climate. And the fact that we're talking about you know numbers in the tens doesn't mean that all of those other thousands of papers are bad papers. It just means that they're not answering this particular question. You most safety climate research assumes that safety climate is a good measure because it is a predictor of injuries, and then they go on to ask other questions about safety climate. We're looking here about just papers that try to answer that foundational question: Does safety climate? work as a predictor of injuries or do injuries work as a predictor of safety climate. So with that in mind, it's really quite good that we've got you know, 32 papers specifically looking at the question of do injuries cause safety climate, you know, 10 papers that say do injuries cause organisational safety climate, 11 looking at whether climate causes injuries. Those, those are really good numbers. That's like you know, 10 different people giving a good answer to the question. Yeah, so let's talk about the answer to that question then, Drew. Let's talk about the findings. So we'll run through, there's, I think, three or four key findings. And, and we might repeat a little bit, but let's, let's, um, let's remember that this is an aggregate of a, lot of a lot of good studies. So, you know, the strength of evidence behind the findings in this paper is, is, is greater than the strength of evidence behind any of those individual 54 papers that are included in this, in this group. So the first result, Drew, is that yes, the effects for organizational climate are stronger than the effects for individual climate. So like you said, Drew, if you sample a group of 40 people in, in one team in a company, then that will be a better predictor of an injury than if you sample one person and then see whether that one person has an injury or not. You'll be more confident in your assessment of whether injuries are likely to occur based on the aggregate climate of the group of people rather than one individual. And, and that one has some practical implications that we'll talk about later on in the episode. 
The second result is the one that we flagged as the headline, which is that certainly for organisational climate, injuries are a better predictor of climate than climate is as a predictor of injuries. So both directions are real. The authors are fairly clear about saying this in their other work. They think there are two mechanisms going on, that you know, two effects, each of which works in a different direction. But the, the stronger effect is the way in which our injuries influence the safety climate. The weaker effect is that safety climate has an effect on injuries. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Again, we'll, we'll talk about all of these findings in the practical takeaways, but I I think that makes a little bit of sense, but but I also think that that's gonna that makes things a bit challenging for us as safety professionals to go well if um if injuries are predicting what's going on in in organisational climate. We also talked in episode thirty five about injuries being the um the predictor of how much safety work's going on in our organisation as well for a lot of the things that we call leading indicators. I think it raises the question about how much of the things that we think in safety are leading indicators are actually leading indicators, because um, most of them seem to lag what's going on in your injury rates. So, so the next finding is that when we talk about climate predicting injuries, the longer the time frame we measure over, the weaker that association is. And it falls off really quite quickly within a few months. So some people are in the habit of mixing together safety culture and safety climate as if they're this constant force. Whereas it's actually much more that safety culture is like the climate and safety climate is like the weather. The safety climate now says something about the likelihood of an injury over the next few weeks or the next few months, but it says very little about the long-term prognosis. It's not a very stable thing. Yeah, one of the papers during this study, which I'd already read previously or included in the group, had, had assessed injury rates for two years before a climate survey and then two years after a climate survey by all of the different groups in the organisation. And it was really quite rapid, even though there was a positive relationship after the climate survey for the injuries going forward. It only lasted about three months. And then beyond three months, it was almost there was no relationship between no prospective relationship. And it also had almost from the day of the climate survey, there was no prospective relationship about more serious injuries. So it so the only thing that the climate told you was your chance of having a weak confidence of your chance of having minor injuries in the next three month period. Yeah, which is um, not nearly as good a predictor as I think we would like it to be. The thing, other thing that interested me is that, at least in this study, it doesn't work the same in the other direction. Um, I think actually the reason why they were testing this hypothesis, hypothesis was because of those previous studies you talked about, David, where I think there was some sign that it fell off quickly in both directions. But in this study, they found that the influence of injuries on safety climate seems to actually be quite stable and long-lasting. So that means that if you have an injury a year ago, that could very well be affecting your safety climate today, whereas your safety climate today doesn't affect the injury you know, a year into the future. So it says that sort of injuries hang around as an effect longer than climate hangs around as an effect on injuries. I think that's also not not entirely surprising. I think we're you know, our memories and experiences are quite strong, strongly influence how we how we think about the world and, and how we do things. So I know we work with a lot of organizations who can recall in great detail even a lost time injury that might have happened 12 months ago or let alone a more serious incident than that. So to I don't find it that personally surprising, Drew, that the the hangover, I suppose, of our experiences is greater than our ambition of what the future might hold. Yeah, I don't find it surprising now, but I did find it surprising when I first realized it talking to some companies. 
just how powerful some of these stories of past injuries could be. Uh, to the point where no one who I'm talking to was even in the company at the time the injury occurred. But the incident and its causation and the response and how the regulator dealt with it are still having a big impact on how people think about and practice safety in the organisation at many years after some of these events. So Drew, the researchers studied, there were some other things going on around, around these papers that they studied. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the other things that the researchers were looking into? Sure. So the next moderator they talked about was something they call contamination. This isn't a concept that I've heard of before, at least not in this way, but they give a pretty neat explanation of it. They say that one of the problems with safety climate is that no one really agrees what is or isn't included in the definition, which means that you pick up two different safety climate surveys. They don't just have slightly different questions. They may in fact test slightly different concepts. Um, now, some researchers, um, one of our colleagues at the Safety Science Innovation Lab, in fact, is a big proponent of this idea, say that this is a feature, not a bug of safety climate. They say that if you're doing safety climate, you should create a new special scale tailored to fit the industry you're assessing. That's going to make it far more valid than just a generic scale. And that makes a lot of sense as a measurement tool, but it makes it really, really hard to compare different studies as a researcher. So what they did is they started with Dov Zohar's original definition, which is based around measuring specifically employee perceptions of the workplace policy procedures and practices concerning safety. And anything that didn't match that concept, that concept of percep worker perceptions of those things, they called contamination. And their prediction was that the less pure a concept is, the weaker the link is going to be. So if you add questions about you know, your safety management systems or your individual beliefs about safety or your attitudes towards taking risk, that all of those things are going to be contamination that weaken the relationship. But the weird thing is that they found the exact opposite, that they found that contaminated scales were more strongly linked to injuries. David, what do you think about that? I thought about this a lot, Drew, just because of your comment, finding it a little bit surprising. But um, but I, I think what I was thinking of, well, well, Dov Sohas, he put his work together in the 1980s and he put 40 questions together about, about safety practices and activities at the time. It's And it was like, we have an audit program in place and we have this and that. And I was thinking, well, 10 or 20 or 30 or even 35 years after he did that, there's probably a lot of things that organisations have today that in the 1980s would have been representative of a whole lot of other things. And these questions were testing, I suppose, the result or what workers saw as a result of potentially a lot of other things that were going on that was driving that particular activity when it was more discretionary than more standardised. So as we've sort of evolved these climate ideas and people have added more questions, they might be reflective of the ways that we've searched to differentiate these companies. Because I think if you give a Zohar questionnaire from the 1980s now to every company, the questions may, all companies may answer very highly on every single one. So the only answer that I could give is that we've created a more nuanced understanding to try to differentiate organizations as, as every organization's come up the curve with the things they've got around safety in their business. But it would just be a hypothesis and I've got no evidence from checking the climate surveys to test that. But the only thing that I can conclude by the strength of the relationship is that we've added in questions over time that help us get a better picture. That, that makes a lot of sense, David. The other thing that was occurring to me as you were explaining that is that not enough of these studies measure the strength of climate. 
So if you think of climate as like got two directions, one of them is the size of how positive or negative it is. And the other is how much everyone at the company agrees. So you could talk about a strong climate where everyone has the same feeling. And then that strong climate might be positive or negative. And I think a lot of the refinements we've made to the climate surveys, the things that they're calling contamination here, are actually improving our ability to measure the strength of climate, working out what it is that people agree or disagree about. Um, and they, they're just not enough studies report the variance in their findings for them to think about that in this particular study. And maybe that might explain some of it, that these are adding in those extra questions gets a better picture of how much people agree at the company. Yeah, it'd be an interesting question, though, for someone to go and pick all of the climate surveys that have been used in the last 40 years and published and try to pick apart the individual questions and constructs and try to do some sort of, you know, looking at how our questioning around climate has evolved over time um, and whether there's anything to learn in the way that, that it's evolved. Yeah, interesting study for someone. So, Drew, there was there was one climate indicator that which was this idea of perceived management commitment, which sort of shows up in 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 most climate surveys and, and many cultural surveys too. And it was shown to have the most robust association with with future injuries. Now, this kind of made sense to me if we think about what Zohar originally published about climate leads to behaviour outcome expectancies, which then influence behaviour and injury. So, I suppose as an individual, depending on whether I think my management uh, wants me to work safely or, or is okay with me working unsafely, then that's probably going to change the way that that first step happens, which is what my expectancies are in relation to my individual behaviours. So that when I, when I saw that in the paper and then I connected back to that original mechanism, I thought, well, that makes, makes a bit of sense to me. Um, what were your thoughts about that one, that one indicator? So, so I have to admit, I actually have a slightly more naive interpretation of that one naive as in you're more simple. I, I know I often criticise the idea of measuring perceptions instead of measuring the actual thing that we care about. But I think when it comes to something like management commitment, perception is really the best measurement we've got. You, you ask management, are you committed? They're not going to give us any more honest answer than if we ask workers, how committed is management? So the very naive explanation is that perceived management commitment correlates with actual management commitment. So in other words, what we're saying here is that companies with management commitment to safety end up being safer. And I think that's very straightforward and logical. We get some error because we're talking about perceptions, but you know, there are lots of ways other than worker behavior through which management commitment can translate into improved safety, including things like investment in systems, investment in staff, investment in training, investment in capital commitment can all be ways in which commitment leads to safety. Yeah, do I suppose the error in the perception of others is maybe less error than the uh, the self-report error? I think so in this case. So, Drew, on first read of the article today, you sent back a sort of a set of practical takeaways, and let's start talking through those because I think this is this is something that we've sort of shown a relationship between between you know something we talk about in safety and, and injuries, which hopefully listeners are going to be a little bit excited about, um, if not obvious. And now I think we've got some really good practical takeaways as well to um, to help them further. So I have to admit, I've cribbed these almost directly from what the authors suggest their own practical takeaways are. I always love an academic paper that does actually stop to say, what does this mean for safety practitioners? And in this case, the very first one is that as far as quantitative measurement goes, you can probably just boil down safety climate into a simple idea about perceived management commitment. So if you're looking for something to measure in your organisation, 
sort of doing a customer satisfaction survey of your staff and asking them how much do, are they convinced that management cares about safety. Fairly simple measurement might actually be just as good as a more complex safety climate survey. So do you almost like for the, the idea of one or two questions on a pulse survey might tell you everything you need to know than doing, say, a 40, so everything you need to know in regard to this climate construct, then maybe doing an original 40 question survey. Yeah. And if we want to ask 40 questions, that gives us 38 to ask on a different topic other than perceptions about various things that all just correlate with each other. The second takeaway is this importance of the fact that injuries are a leading indicator of safety climate and just how long-term an effect they can have. I think it's really important for us to think about in an organisation how we deal with injuries and the stories that get told about those really matter for how much our people think that we care about safety. So quoting directly from the paper, for managers and safety practitioners, this suggests that the need to investigate and address the factors that have contributed to past injuries, and then, and this is me talking again, saying this next bit I think is really important, continue the quote, to clearly communicate to employees what has been done to decrease the likelihood of their recurrence. That's, I think, the bit that we often leave out of our investigations, is not just investigating, but then clearly convincing people that, you know, yes, we have done something to make sure that this isn't going to happen again. Uh, thoughts, David? Look, I think we've talked about um, individual blame and, and learning on the podcast before. We've talked about what organisational learning from incidents needs to look like to happen. I think this idea that how we how our people feel after incidents and, and injuries occur in their workplace is going to form very, like you said, very clear and long-lasting views about their perceptions of the organisation and its commitment to to safety. So I think a lot of organisations would think that they do this okay. Yeah, we we address the factors, we send around alerts, we we tell our people what they're doing, but I think this is a bit of a show us you've done something, not a just tell us that you've done something sort of statement if you really want to not have injuries negatively impact your climate for the next 12 months or so. Yeah, th that very much reminds me of those survey responses you see sometimes that say, you know, you said we did, where a lot of the we did is we've pledged to communicate better instead of actually showing that management has taken an action in response. I think we call that normally with our clients, Drew, we call that the say-do gap. How big's the gap between what, <laughs> what, what the organisation says and what it does? So the third finding is related to this fact that the organisational climate, the climate measured in groups, has a stronger effect, a stronger link to injuries in the future than the individual climate. Now, this gets back to the very start of the podcast, David, you were talking about how climate works. This is, I think, the evidence that it is actually the shared norms and values operating through behaviour. If there wasn't some function of norms and behaviour going on, then we wouldn't see this statistical effect. So that suggests that actually improving climate by focusing on group activities, value sharing, communication of positive norms is actually an effective way to improve safety and reduce injuries, as opposed to when we think of it as an individual concept, then we're promoting safety to win hearts and minds of individuals. Yeah, focusing on, I suppose, broadcast communication where you're trying to just get messages at and into each individual in the organisation. Yeah, I think Drew is, I suppose, coming together and making some collective sense and and, and norming together about um, about shared experiences and shared expectations. So I really like that. And I think it sort of really questions the way that we do a lot of our 
internal communications around health and safety. And I suppose a lot of our efforts to try to change climate are maybe not directed at activities that are going to create the biggest impact. Yeah, even though leadership commitment is important, leadership messaging doesn't demonstrate that commitment in the type of way that works here. So the final um, is a practical takeaway for people measuring safety climate. And that's when you measure something like climate, don't forget to measure the strength of agreement rather than just how positive or negative. So in statistical terms, that means don't just measure the average score, measure the variation in the scores, the variance. Even lots of researchers make the mistake of not reporting the variance, which makes it impossible to test things like whether more cohesive climates have bigger effects, which is something that we believe is true, but we'd really like to be able to test that. So Drew, the other things that we'd like to know from our listeners are just uh, just a general question about what are our listeners' experience with safety climate um, and its relationship to injuries. I suspect that a lot of our listeners have been involved in safety climate assessments or, or safety climate or, or efforts to to strengthen positive safety climate in their organisation. Can you add, add any of your own experiences to explain some of the things that we've spoken about in the podcast today? So Drew, anything else you'd like to hear from our listeners? No, that, that's the main one is... I think everyone has slightly different interpretations and applications of safety climate. And, and I'm yeah just personally interested to hear people's stories of how they've used the concept, how they've measured it, how they've had it measured on them. So Drew, that's it for this week. But the question was, what is the relationship between safety climate and injuries? And the answer? Well, I think for once we have a simple answer. Safety climate is negatively correlated with future injuries. Good safety climate results in lower future injuries. And even stronger, injuries are correlated with future safety climate. So fewer injuries means a better safety climate in the future. Uh, we can argue about what that means, but the findings are fairly straightforward and clearly evidenced. Thanks, Drew. So that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send us some feedback on LinkedIn or also send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes directly to us at feedback at safetyofwork.com. 